0: Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to
1: NorthIdahoRei.com. Today's episode features Jacob Marble. Jacob is a software engineer and a real estate investor based in North Idaho. Jacob opens up
0: to the dark side of the business, including the ups and downs of what it's like to invest out of state. Stay tuned. Good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon. Jacob Marble. Or do you go by
1: Jake? No, I transitioned back to Jacob, uh, Jacob probably 10 years ago.
0: Nice. Thanks for coming on. Of course. Do yeah, the famous handshake. <laughs> <laughs> I like to give people an awkward stare down when we first start, just to kind of get to know them. Okay. And uh, you put on a good front. So congratulations. Thanks. I was being tested. <laughs> so we met, we met a few years ago. Yeah. Um, you had longer hair and a beard back then. I did, yeah. And you just moved up from California. I had just moved up when we first met, yeah. How long ago was that again? Do you remember? Uh,
1: three years. We moved okay. up to, to Sandpoint about three years ago from, from uh, Orange County. Yeah.
0: yeah. And you, you were working at Google at the time, right?
1: Yeah. So the transition there was after five and a half years at Google, I was um, tired of working for a big company and kind of felt a uh, lack of meaning because I was basically going to work for the, for the money and not really for anything else. Gotcha. so um, what, what did you do there I'm a software engineer that's that's what I do I program computer programmer and uh, oh, okay probably my favorite thing to do in the world is, is programming computers uh-huh. um, and so uh, that's what I that's what I still do I, now today I work for a company in California I work remotely from an office well I could work from home if I want to but I have three kids so oh okay I, I rent an office in Sandpoint. and uh, yeah my full-time gig like eight hours a day is 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 uh, programming and working with um, other engineers who are also remote. So my team is about five engineers and we're spread out between London and San Francisco. Did you, uh, did you go to school for that or did you,
0: were you kind of self-taught?
1: Yeah. So, uh, went to, went to college and studied computer science and also have, (laughs) I, I studied computer science as my major and I have three minors, um, Spanish, Chinese, and math. Wow. And, uh, that was a, that's a whole other section of my life that was very rewarding. College really turned me into who I am. But yeah, that's how I basically learned how to do my job in, in college. Yeah.
0: Nice. Okay. Are so, you a college man? I really haven't asked you that before. You know what? Um, I went to college, yes, for about a half a semester, North <laughs> Idaho College. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, my classes were, I, I took a guitar class. Um, yeah. I took a snowboarding class, wilderness survival mountaineering um, and there was one other there Was one other class did oh digital photography something serious in there okay yeah <laughs> so um, Wow I, I did all that and I loved it but I I bought a house out of town and yeah. I decided to go move out of town because I was buying a house out of town <laughs> okay so um, this is before you left for Florida then it was before I left for Florida okay yeah for the second time, and then you, and you <laughs> repented and came back to North Idaho. I moved to Florida three times, yeah, um, but this was uh, in between the second and third time. Okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. Long story. We don't have to get into yeah. me today. Right. We're talking about my favorite subject today, which is me. Yeah. You. So. I want to. I want all. And we're and we're back to Jacob, not Jake. <laughs> right, Jacob. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, so you worked. Um, in Orange County, at for Google as a software engineer for about five years. Yeah, and it sucked the life out of you. Yeah, and by the end, I was I was tired of it. Yeah. So okay. I, I thought they and didn't they have beanbags and stuff at their office. Didn't they try to make it as chill as possible?
1: Oh yeah, there's a nap room. Uh, took a couple of naps in there myself. Um, was there really to... a nap room? Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, like leave the lights off. There's like like adult sized bean bags in there, three of them partitioned like partitions <laughs> between them and then on the when you go in you, you flip a card over on the door to show that you're using this bean you know beanbag number two or whatever.
0: Yeah. Aren't um, beanbags like uncomfortable in real oh, life. Yeah, they really are. Like they look cool. But yeah. they're the worst thing to try to sleep on. You remember
1: LoveSack, that company LoveSack? Vaguely. Big beanbag company. That yeah. Nobody's heard of them anymore. Nobody hears about them anymore because I think I think the fad faded. They're just, you're right. They're, they're uncomfortable. Like a futon. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs)
0: Futons are horrible. (laughs) Okay. So what, what got you, um, what, what brought you to Idaho and turned you into a real estate investor? So before we left
1: California, my cousin and I, uh, decided to buy a small business out of Seattle and that it's called Zaggy. They make, we make a radio controlled airplane. Oh. It's it's kind of a flying wing shape thing. Really? Um, So we bought the business out of uh, Seattle and then shipped all the physical assets to my cousin's home, which is in Spirit Lake, just half an hour north of here. Okay. Um, So in that process, um, I got to come up and visit him a couple of times, um, unpacking type tasks, opening a bank account, and I was just shocked at how cool this place is and um so when it was time to leave google a year later i uh this was the first destination i had in mind um and i've since moved on from that uh so i've i've uh, sold my part of that business to to my cousin and and more focused on real estate okay
0: is he still working on that business yeah yeah okay. you can
1: go to zaggy.com z-a-g-i zaggy.com and buy uh,
0: z-a-g-y I, Z-A-G-I. Z-A-G-I,
1: sorry. Yeah, dot .com. And, um, and buy a, a radio-controlled airplane kit out of North
0: Idaho. Had no idea. I'm going to check it out. <laughs> yeah. So what what uh, made you want to get out of that business, if you don't mind? Um,
1: I wasn't very good at it. Okay. Uh, my, my job was the sort of the digital side, marketing and accounting, and um, where are we going to go? You know, what, what do we need to do to, to improve the product so that we, you know, grow revenue basically. And I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't realize how much time would be required, um, to do, to do that kind of a venture. And so, um, in the end, my partner was a lot more invested than I was. And so I said, then, then take it, you know, own it. Nice. So I think that's worked out well for both of us. I learned what I needed to learn and, and, um.
0: He got what he needed out of it as well. So okay. Did you just hand it over, or did did he have to buy you out? I just handed it over. Yeah, I had a similar experience with a bounce house company that I bought with my brother. <laughs> yeah, I remember when you mentioned that you bought that. Yeah, and it was just a time suck. Mm-hmm. We it, we made money from it, but it was just um, it oh. was just not you know, real estate's such a better investment in time and it's so much fun and it's fun it yeah. can be fun and you can lose a lot of money too but you sure can um i ended up i didn't even ask my brother for money i just said hey do you mind if you just take over and keep all this yeah all these bounce houses and it's all yours have fun good luck yeah <laughs> good luck out there <laughs> it was fun now he's trying to get rid of it <laughs> oh he's even decided to move on now uh he's i mean he's building houses and stuff and okay. during the summer It's just, he still hasn't even changed the phone number on the side of the trailer. It's still the old owner's phone number, you know, four years later. And it's, it's just a time suck. And there's a lot of repeat business and stuff. It's made me do a lot
1: of, like, when I see a business, you walk into a coffee shop or something and you're like, why don't they fix this thing over here? People would, you know, spend more money if they would just, yeah. and it's really easy to criticize from the outside, mm-hmm. what a small business does and how it operates. But as the owner of a small business, you start to realize that things are coming at you constantly, including your own doubts yeah. And, and, yeah, including your own doubts. Your, your self-motivation can fade after a while. It's hard running a small business. Mm-hmm. And so I find myself, uh, I, I try to check myself now when I um, see something like that and, and, and go to in my mind, why don't they just, it's like, oh, there's the magic words.
0: Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I mean, it, that bounce house business is a perfect example. I mean, there, there is a reason why that phone number still hasn't even changed and why you why let the website go is because it just doesn't really want the business. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there are some, and there, there are other people in the same situation where they have a side business and they'd really prefer it not to be that busy. Yeah. <laughs> and you just never think about that. You're like, oh, why don't you have a website, you idiot? But <laughs> Right. They don't want it. They're busy doing something else or they're in real estate. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's it's usually not because they're stupid and that's, yeah, that's
0: important to remember. They typically know what the flaws are Yeah, (laughs) and where they can make more money. They're just busy. Yeah. So, um, okay. So what made you then transition and think real estate investing? Well, I
1: mean, I did what. Apparently millions of people are doing which is I, I sold my house in California. It's a <laughs> bunch of appreciation there, right? Tax-free appreciation. Um, and
0: what makes it tax-free for those that have no idea what you're yeah, talking okay, about? So I know what you're talking about. but
1: <laughs> Great. When uh, you sell your primary residence and when, when you sell your primary residence for more than you paid, um, if you've lived in that, the, the IRS the federal guidelines are that if you've if you lived in that home for at least two of the last five years before you sold, then um, you don't have to pay taxes on that appreciation up to a certain limit. And I believe that for married people, it's $500,000. So if your home appreciates Mm -hmm. up to $500,000, then you don't have to.
0: If you you make 500,000 in profits.
1: Right. If you you bought it, so you bought the home for $300,000 and three years later you sell it for, you know, $500,000, Five hundred thousand dollars. Well, you don't have to pay taxes on that difference, even though you made a ton of money. Yeah,
0: and it's a, and if you're single, it's half that, right? I think it I might think, be half. Yeah, I think it's about two fifty. Look it up. Yeah. Don't trust us, Look but it it's it's something like that. You can make up to two hundred fifty thousand dollars profit if you're single. Yeah. on your primary residence.
1: And the objective, free. I think the the, I think the IRS does this not to, um, make it easy to invest in your own home, but rather to make it easy to 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 move like if you wanted to leave your current home to live closer to work or to change something then you should be able to do that freely um the objective there is not to encourage like investing in your own home which i think is a a terrible idea um for my for my own lifestyle my home is like the thing that is most protected because my children and my family live there um anyways yeah that's that's what so that's what happened to me when i left california um, had a pile of cash, I'd never had that much money in my life before. And, um,
0: when you bought the house, did you put much down?
1: I'm a veteran, so I put zero down VA loan. nice. Yep. And, um, when we got here to North Idaho, I put zero down because I, I wanted to invest that money. I wanted to make it work for me and looked at a lot of different things. Um, I have a lending club account. I have tried, um, the one that I've—I just—I just sold my shares in an, in one of those you know, companies where you put money in and then they lend it out for um, doing flips. And I forget which one I was with, but like a
0: syndication of some sort, or I'll think of it later and you can put it in the
1: show notes a link to whatever okay. that thing is. Um, as you can see, I was really invested in that. Uh, <laughs> tried tried my hand a little bit in in understanding how so uh, essentially you, and it was private were. money
0: or private lending or hard money lending but you weren't the one going out there and yeah um you put your money
1: in and then it's, it's like a fund and they go and i think this one you had to be a accredited investor and when i worked for google i was qualified as an accredited investor that's nice uh, yeah i can get yourself into some trouble too uh <laughs> with that um but uh I'm not an accredited investor anymore, so I don't have to distract myself with those kinds of things. Okay. Um, anyway, so, and then tried, tried my hands with like stocks and, and you know, read about Jack Bogle's method of investing. He's the founder of Vanguard mm-hmm. and um, the, the sort of inventor of the index fund. Um, a lot of good information there, a lot of good strategies for, for retiring, but um, real estate is a, a great place to, I think, drive a better return. And have a good time, um, while doing it. Um, a lot of opportunities to make relationships, and learn how to do things that you wouldn't normally, at least I wouldn't normally know how to do. Yeah. In my day-to-day life, so um, decided that real estate would be a, a good place to to do that, and and uh, ended up starting with, and then it, so it went to the bigger pockets kind of route. Yeah. Um, did a pile of reading, a pile of listening to podcasts, and eventually had heard the same things, you know, there's like a 100 pieces of advice you hear over and over and over again. Um, so I eventually had to stop listening because there was nothing left for me. It felt like I needed to do something. Yeah. And so I um, ended up buying an apartment building in um, St. Louis, Missouri. Okay. And that was kind of the beginning of, of real estate investing for me it was a 12-unit apartment building, which is kind of a big bite. What, what
0: turned you onto that market?
1: Um, the opportunity for a decent return. It felt like the Midwest was the last place in the United States to um, get a decent return on, on your down payment, essentially. Okay. Um, and the numbers, I mean, I did, I did a lot of work to, to, to kind of give myself a pro forma of what this investment would look like, and um, it
0: didn't go so well. And you bought a couple of apartments, right? Yeah, I bought three buildings. Bought three buildings, and it looked amazing on paper. Sure did.
1: So let me give you an example of that. The first building we bought, 12 units, all one one bedroom, and they had all been rented. I think 10 of the units had been rented at $550 a month um, with the landlord paying for the utilities.
0: Okay. And so, so it wasn't submetered. Or? there were meters,
1: there were electric meters and gas meters, but the landlord was paying the utilities. Okay. And so we thought, well, if we bought this building and raise the rent, well, make the tenants pay for the utilities and then renew the leases at $500, that would be $6,000 of just pure rent revenue every month. And
0: assuming. how much, how much was this building that you bought? This twelve unit say it was three hundred and fifty thousand.
1: Okay. To give you an idea, my home in Sandpoint costs three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, and this whole apartment building in St. Louis costs three hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> um, but these are apples and um, elephants. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, so if we were going to raise the rents to five hundred dollars a month, and if we were going to put twelve tenants in there. That'd be six thousand dollars a month, right? Yeah, and the loan with a eighty percent loan to value, which is pretty easy to come by, the the loan payment on a five twenty five was uh, sixteen hundred dollars a month.
0: Okay. So, and where did and where did you go for the financing on this this building? I went to U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank. Just straight up. Okay. Uh, so a national lender. lender. Yeah. And did you use somebody here locally, U.S. Bank, or just like the? Did you just call up U.S. Bank, you know, <laughs> in general? Somehow I got started. Was it local to St. Or was it local to the um, St. Louis? Yeah, definitely. So
1: I forget how I came across U.S. Bank as a an option, but somebody locally here in North Idaho suggested U.S. Bank for commercial loans. Okay. So I called U.S. Bank here in, in uh, I think it was in Quarter Lane, and they immediately handed me off to the commercial lender in St. Louis.
0: Oh, okay, so you did deal with somebody
1: local. I did, I got, I got handed order. off by somebody okay. local, to, to somebody in, in St. Louis, yeah. Um, it was a good process, like, U.S. Bank is a standard bank, they wanna do cookie cutter loans, and if what you're doing is cookie cutter, you get really good terms. Like 80% loan to value on a 525 loan is pretty generous, or it yeah. was at that time, and a 525 is 25 year amortization period, so you're paying, as, you're paying principal and interest as though it'll be paid off in 25 years. Mm -hmm. And then that's the 25 part. And the five part is at the end of five years, the loan comes due.
0: Yeah. You have to refinance it or sell it. Right. Yeah.
1: And the bank's objective there is just to get you to refinance with them in five years so that they're not locked into that interest rate until the end of time. They want to keep a market interest rate. Which is
0: very common for commercial loans. You can't, it's, you can't get a 30 year loan fixed on a commercial building. Yeah. Can you? Uh, I've not seen one. I haven't either.
1: But Maybe you can. I hear a lot about like 1010s, 1515s, and then mm-hmm. like 520s and 525s, 1025s. Um, so those are kind of the numbers that are handed around in commercial. And in commercial, to be clear, you, you get a commercial loan when the building has five units or more. Okay. And you get a residential loan when the building has four units or fewer. So a four unit building is like, a Fannie Mae loan, Mm -hmm. a fourplex, and a five unit building is a commercial loan, which is a totally different like department at the bank and a totally different government agency that overlooks those loans compared to residential loans.
0: Okay. I'm curious, what does an appraisal look like on a 12 unit apartment building? Is it expensive? I want to say it was like $2,000. Okay. So it's about four times what a
1: a house would go for. I'm not also sure how appraisal. that market compares this market. Because another thing that was funny about the appraisal, closing on that property, the appraisal was the long pole. So um, it was like six weeks to get our appraisal. We had all our ducks in a row. The lending was no problem. Um, we flew out there to look at the building. But uh, getting on the appraiser's calendar was the hard part. And so okay. for the following buildings, we were sure to put that on you know the beginning of the list. Get, okay. Just get on the yeah, calendar.
0: Just get it get it ordered right away. Yeah. Okay. So um uh, so again, let's um the loan amount was how much again?
1: Let's see. The loan was an it was an 80% loan to value against $350,000 purchase price. So we could get out a calculator, but I think it was like a $280,000 loan.
0: Okay. So you needed about 70 75,000 down, yep. something like that. And
1: I partnered with my dad on that first one, 50-50. 50-50, we each put in 50% of the down payment plus a little bit for things that happen when you buy a property.
0: Okay. Um so uh, and your and the loan payment again was 1600?
1: 1600. I think 1680. I think 1680 dollars was the loan payment.
0: All right. Against okay.
1: against, you know, fully Fully rented building should have been generating six thousand dollars in revenue every month.
0: What what were the average utilities that this guy was paying, like the twelve month average? Yeah. So
1: what happens when you buy a recently renovated building is the seller says, I don't know, because I've only been renting this out for three or four months. And the buyer says, Oh, okay, that's fine. So I don't remember and it didn't matter. Okay because he hadn't he hadn't Had it filled long enough to show a track record for expenses, you know, repair and maintenance type expenses.
0: Any of that was just thumbnail sketches on both sides. Okay. So you weren't really sure. So, okay. So you close on the building and your cash flow in at least three grand a month, right? We were, no. I know. Sorry. No. That was meant to be facetious. (laughs) Yeah. So tell me what really happened. So... We closed on the building.
1: We hired a property manager, um, a 10% property manager, so we took 10% of collected rents. And right away lost half the tenants. So we were down to like five paying tenants within a month or two of, of buying the building.
0: Were these, before you closed on it, were these tenants all like verified real people living there? Or do you think any of the leases may have been, um, faked? It's
1: no, I don't think the leases were faked because the tenants in this building left their stuff behind. Okay. Like trashed left trash in there, left couches, um, like Tupperware with kids, toys, random stuff, just constantly the $500 rent in St. Louis. If you're, if you want to pay less than $500 rent in St. Louis, then you're like living in your mom's living room or in a car. Uh-huh. Or you're homeless. Okay. So they're um, on the verge. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and like most of our tenants, I'd say more than half of our tenants didn't even have a car. Um, didn't really realize what I was getting into when I did this. I, did
0: you fly out and see this building before you closed on it?
1: Yeah. My dad and I flew out together. Uh, dad was a home repairman, a uh, handyman for eight years when I was a kid. So he knows his way around, you know, Okay. does this thing. Is this is this door gonna break or is it yeah. been hung wrong or something like that?
0: So after you guys um, both got to see it in person, did either of you guys have any doubts afterwards? Um, before you closed. So, we didn't
1: openly have doubts, but um, I was scared the whole time because of the amount of money and, yeah. and walking through it was was real and um i should have had more doubts because cash flow was negative almost every month
0: oh really okay. for
1: the entire on that building
0: for cuz then you went down to five tenants and that's only yeah 2500 a month right out of and the and then gate. minus your management fees minus utilities minus your mortgage repairs and repairs it's um, kind of hard to profit <clears> on <throat> that building had
1: some roof problems and property manager uh, conveniently was also general contractor and so when he went up and looked at the roof he he uh, conveniently notified us that we needed a new roof and so even some of the sheeting needed to be replaced okay so that was like was this like a flat roof or like a Yeah, it's a flat roof with like tar paper and you roll it out and then you slather on some kind of black goop. Yeah. Um, So that, what was the price tag on that? I think, I want to say it was like $20,000 for a brand new roof. And then six months later, maybe a year later, we decided that we needed to add um, air conditioning to the whole building. We bought the building, it had a, a wall or a, a window air conditioning unit uh-huh. in every unit. So there were 12 of them when we bought it. And by the time we put in the what they call central air, added air conditioning to the, to the furnaces, I think there must have been one left in the building. So they just kept walking out the door and nobody was paying attention, like the property manager wasn't keeping track of it.
0: Um, oh, and these tenants would turn over, they'd take their AC with them? Apparently. Or maybe
1: they would get rid of the AC when they moved in just to make a couple bucks, you know. These tenants would pay their first month's rent and a deposit of 500, $500. I probably, over, in two and a half years on that building, we probably cycled through 30 tenants, and I probably gave two of them their deposit back or part of their deposit back. Wow. Most of the time... The way that they exited was, they left. They didn't call the property manager. They didn't clean up after themselves. You just find out when they're not paying rent? They're not paying rent. For two, three months, they don't pay rent. Knock on the door a few times. Property manager technically isn't allowed to just go into a unit. But eventually, push comes to shove and you find out that they've just up and left. Gotcha. So now you've got a clean out, which is a, I mean, I've paid Two thousand dollars for a clean out, The way that, that the, the units were were treated. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all lessons you can learn just by listening to a pile of podcasts and reading a pile of books. And I already had, but you know. And and here's, I mean, so so the, the the summary of all this is, yeah, that that building made like no money. Yeah, it lost me money, and when we sold it, like we had to take whatever came out of that sale and just apply it to another building in St. Louis that was um, treading water worse.
0: Oh, okay, so that wasn't even the worst one of the three? No. (laughs) Um, the The thing that I did
1: wrong is I bought the second building before the first one cash flowed. I didn't prove that I could play this game before I started playing it a second time, I should have got the first one floating. You know, making we were we were expecting to each partner take a thousand dollars a month in in just distribution, mm-hmm. and instead we were each on average. I'm I'm thinking average month we probably put in two hundred dollars each. It was lumpy, but okay. It was like a three thousand dollar deposit every couple of months, and then. check to do the roof and a $20,000 check to do the air conditionings and yeah um, so that's that's of of the dozens of lessons that I've learned in St. Louis the biggest the most important one is um, figure out how to do it right before you start doing it a second or a third time (laughs) and that would have saved me $150,000, $200,000. hundred and fifty thousand dollars two hundred thousand dollars wow i'd be I'd be that much richer today if i had if I if I could have had that lesson and really faced it but instead I just I bought a second one
0: so what did the second building look like was it a similar tenant um, base yep second building same neighborhood about um, eight blocks away okay um,
1: on paper it looked identical brick building twelve units one bedroom oh okay um The brick there is really cool these buildings are like 100 110 years old and they're made out of real brick there's nothing facade about them you see homes today that are built with like a brick facade on the front and then it's like vinyl siding on the back right um these buildings were three layers of brick all the way around really pretty um some kind of ornate things done around the the top edge of the brick and then these nice caps on there and Um, decorative corners and, you know, once upon a time these buildings are really cool. Um, what's left today is they're, they're, they're aging. Um, they don't build buildings like that anymore. So the masons stay busy repairing, but not really doing any new work in those neighborhoods. Anyways, uh, so the building looked pretty much identical to the first one, bought it with a different partner,
0: had a whole other host of issues. Was it another similar partnership of 50 50? Yep. We each put
1: yeah. in 50 to 50% of the down payment anytime that we needed to do.
0: Was this another traditional loan like yep. an 80, 20 loan? With same, US lender, bank?
1: same US bank lender, 80, 20, right? Yeah. 80% loan to value. I think we closed that one at 360 with $10,000 like credit at closing because we found some issues.
0: Oh, okay. So it was uh, pretty much the same price too. Yep. Now, did this one have, was this one full of tenants? Uh,
1: yeah, this one was not a renovation, so it was already. I think there was like 11 of 12 units were rented when we bought it. Okay. Um,
0: did, did a lot of these tenants leave as, as well when you closed on it? When we closed
1: on this one, we were probably down to seven paying tenants after a month or two oh, instead okay. of five on the first one. So yeah, another mass exodus. <clears throat> tenants who live on the edge, um, tend to get nervous when there's a change over demand yeah. yeah um for example in the first one those tenants were paying cash for the most part and their utilities were covered and that meant like the government didn't have like a name with that address mm-hmm. they didn't have to get any bills in their name and so there there was there was there were fewer avenues of attack if you were somebody who was on you know heat maps okay um or if you're maybe your citizenship, your, your um, presence in the United States is questionable. You really wanna keep a low profile. So rather than get to know the the new people, those kind of people just, just pop smoke and leave. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, this, this building was <clears throat> very similar profile. Um, the big expenses there turned out to be on, on the whole the same, same thing. Um, people don't pay their rent, you have to pay for eviction, you have to pay for cleanouts. Um, things are breaking constantly because they weren't repaired properly the last time that they were fixed. Mhm. Roof leaks constantly. Uh, this
0: So the roof leaked on this roof on this one too.
1: Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, you just plan on it on these buildings. Okay. Um like you see these buildings they have like 10, 12 layers of of tar paper and more <laughs> you know, they use different types of chemicals to to dope up the roofs, and if you don't use the right chemicals on the on the layer on the previous layer, then these things don't you know, stick together properly. These kind of things. So, <clears throat> all the same, long list of unending expenses, and then in, these ones already had central air. Um, the roof was in good enough condition to just patch it and keep going. Um, the big surprise on this one. I was in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico with uh, my wife on like the very first vacation that we had ever taken since having kids, just <laughs> me and her. Yeah. Um, literally sitting in a, a, a beautiful restaurant like under an umbrella, soaking it in, totally relaxed. Get a call from my property manager. Uh, Did you pay the water bill? Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah, I paid the water bill. Of course, that's like, I have to pay the water bill. There's one water main. Yeah. That's not sub metered, uh, massive two inch water. man. of course I'm paying that bill. Well, they've turned off our water. Okay. So that was a seven month ordeal.
0: And seven, what, the water was off for seven months? Water was off
1: for about 24 hours, but seven months later we finally fixed, finished fixing the problem that was the root cause there. It cost oh, okay. us $15,000. This is a fun story. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> um, you look like you almost don't want to tell it and relive it. I want to. <laughs> I want to. I want to make sure I tell it in order and everything. So, turns out that there's a leak under the street where the city's main uh, tees off to our building,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and the leak is and the part of the T, the part of that relationship that that we are responsible for, not the city. Okay. That leak had existed for uh, probably a year before we even bought the building. And the city had contacted the previous owner several occasions uh, to get them to fix the, the problem, fix the leak under the street. And they'd even sent a threatening letter saying, we're gonna turn off the water in 14 days if you don't. Um, open a permit to
0: uh, repair this water main. So, this seller knew about this. Oh, yeah. And they didn't disclose it when they sold you the building. Did not disclose it. That's a no no. That, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, legally speaking. Le- legally speaking,
1: ethically speaking, morally speaking, it's a yeah. no no. Uh, so, about six months after we bought it, the city wasn't bright enough. To notice that the property had changed hands and they were still sending correspondence to the old. I'm paying the bill, yeah, but the old owner is still getting correspondence about this problem apparently.
0: So is it metered? Is it like higher than it should be
1: or is it not metered? That one was weird. I never got to the bottom of it because the water bill on that building would like, it would be like $400 one month and $800 the next month and then $200 the next month. I couldn't figure out, and the sewer bill was supposed okay. to follow- yeah, but the water bill was actually oh that was it. The water bill was paid every three months, and the sewer bill ran off the same meter, but it was paid monthly, and I could never get the two to align. I, okay. I never got to the bus. But I think what happened was two weeks before, three weeks before I went to Cabo San Lucas on vacation, I called the the, the city, the, the the water department, and said, hey, I just like to understand my bill, and I wonder if there's something wrong with the, the meter reader or uh, maybe there's some some leak that you can help me to resolve yeah. what's normally what's the normal procedure here when you see numbers that go up and down like this and they followed up and said, uh, well we sent we sent the meter reader, reader out there again to make sure and know that you know the numbers are being recorded properly and then I got a letter in the mail from the city <clears throat> a couple days later saying, hey, there's a leak under the street. It's your problem. We're going to shut the water off in 14 days. And I called my property manager and I said, "Uh, can you work on this? Yeah. And she said, oh, they're mistaken. That's another building. That's across the street. And I said, oh, okay, cool. Okay. So I called the city. Um, I I think I like waited on hold and then left a message or something like that. And then left it at that well 14 days later I'm in Cabo San Lucas and just as promised they shut off the the water and it turned out that the water main didn't go down the center of the street it went down kind of the other side of the street-ish and then across to our building and it was our fault it was our our building's
0: problem okay so the and this is your first day on vacation
1: yeah it was like the second day on vacation on the second day yeah, yeah. <laughs> So a property manager hires a plumber who does the right thing and turns on the water without permission from the city so that the tenants have water and then opens a permit to repair. And then the city comes out and officially turns the water back on. Um, And plumber starts working on the repair. And he estimated, I think, $10,000 to do the whole thing. So it's going to be like two-inch copper a new a new tee off the city's main that's called a tap yeah. it's like a main that's pressurized and then while it's pressurized and live they sink a new tee into that thing and, and then give you a valve and, and then you have to set a new meter inside of the building um, and so the whole job is supposed to cost about $10,000 and take like a month
2: mm-hmm. uh,
1: so the plumber gets started and I'm getting some photographs of like an open pit in front of the building great things are underway and then the plumber uh, just disappears, and property manager's having a hard time managing the situation.
0: While the streets dug up. Oh
1: yeah, yeah. Like there's there's like tape saying caution. Yeah. Uh huh. And it's it's kind of starting to deteriorate, and the rain comes and
0: goes, and and. And he said this the the job was going to take almost a month.
1: was supposed to take like a month to finish.
0: Wow. And so three months just later, just to fix a valve, or just to install a T valve. To re, yeah, to replace oh, the true. water main from the yeah. city's,
1: from the city. T- I was like 20 feet. Oh, okay. Um, so the property manager having a hard time managing this this plumber. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not answering anymore. He's been given some, you know, an extension on his money. He's been given some money up front to, to get going, to pay for materials and things, but he's, he's not answering anymore. Okay. Uh,
0: I went to he St. Th- Louis. He got paid enough money, so he was gone. He didn't want to do the rest of the job. Who knows? <laughs> I've had that happen. People don't make sense, but
1: like, he's a licensed plumber. The permit's got his name on it. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. So, probably four months into this project, five months must have been five months into the project. I had a reason to go to St. Louis for regular work. Um, there's a conference in St. Louis that I went to, and so um, I was there. rented a car, and I stopped by the building to see how's it going. And I got the plumber's number myself from the property manager she's not managing the, the situation anymore. Like she hasn't found a new plumber, she hasn't fixed the relationship with the old plumber, she isn't pr- providing, she isn't, she isn't proposing solutions to the problem. Right. And so I ended up just taking the problem in my own hands. Mm-hmm. And um, she's got just a not hold. not being of, a property manager. No, she's not managing anything. <laughs> it's very frustrating. So, yeah. uh, so I get a hold of the plumber finally, and just like the day before I go to St. Louis, and arrange a meeting with him on site. Um, and follow up with him like two, three times on my way there to make sure that he's going to be there because I'm only going to be in town for like three days. Yeah. So he meets me on site. He meets me there. And he has some sob story and his life is hard. And, okay, I need you to finish this job. Well, I'm going to need some more money. Fine, whatever you need. But it's going to cost me more money to find a new plumber to come and clean up your mess than it is for you to trust your own work that you've done so far and tie this up. So I think we ended up paying him like an extra $3,000. Um, plus on, extra. On top of what he quoted you? On top of what he quoted us and on top of extras that came from the city and, and all in we were about $14,000, $15,000 by the end. But he finished the work and I'm dealing with him directly. So I, I fly home to Idaho and I'm calling him almost every day and I'm sending money to him directly through, like, Western Union as he completes little milestones along the oh, way. No. He finishes the whole job, gets the meter set by the city, and the, the permit was open. The permit had an expiration of six months. Yeah. And he finishes, like, at six months in a day. So he needs to open a new permit, get it inspected, and close it. New permit's going to cost, like, 400 bucks. And I'm like, great, let's do it. Yeah. Open the permit. Oh well, my insurance. The, the plumber tells me my insurance uh, I haven't been able to pay it, and so the city has uh, restricted my license, and so I can't open a permit. And but I need that last. I think I owed him like a thousand bucks or fifteen hundred bucks to at the end. Yeah. This final milestone had a final check associated with it, and I said, you're not getting any of your money until you solve this problem. So he found this old like, 70-year-old plumber who uh, came in, looked at the work that was done with his flashlight, and said, yeah, I'll do this for you. And so we had this 70-year-old plumber, we paid this this guy like 300 bucks just to open a permit, walk in with the inspector, and close that permit so that we could eventually sell the building and yeah. this wasn't like a loose end. Um, at least in St. Louis, you can look um, at their, on their website you can look and see all the permits that have been open on a property and then like were they closed yeah so you can see unclosed permits and anybody who's doing due diligence on buying that building later would see an open permit that was never closed and say oh what happened here yeah so um, I managed that relationship directly and I got us to a win and my property manager didn't Stand up to the to the task, and my partner also didn't do anything to help out. He was totally useless. He whined the whole time. Um, Did he, he still pay for
0: half of everything?
1: Yeah, as agreed. He okay. Th- to the bitter end, he demanded that any time that he put money in, I put money in, equal amount. Yeah. Um, a fun thing that happened near the end, though, is I started going through. What the city was telling me, and I started calling the city and just talking to like instead of calling the, the talk, instead of talking to the city supervisors who were mad at me because I owned the building as if I had owned it when I had lied to them in the past, yeah. as if I were the old owner. Those guys were total jerks, very unhelpful, very dogmatic. Um, but the the people that you call and get on the phone, just the customer service people, were helpful enough that. Through a phone call at a time, I managed to get copies of the correspondence that they had sent to the previous owner and build a timeline that demonstrated that those guys were cheaters and liars and stealers. And so then I built, then I added to that timeline my own timeline and, and um, made copies of, of the estimate from our plumber and made copies of what things had cost so far in the job. It wasn't done yet, but I, I built this whole. Probably fourteen or fifteen pages of here's evidence to show that the seller uh, had had acted dishonestly.
0: Yeah, and then I mis- wrote misrepresented the property.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, lied, and then I wrote a letter to the seller, the guy who sold it to me, um, and I CC'd his agent and his broker and my agent, who's also a broker. Uh huh. Um, and sent registered mail to him, to to the seller and to the seller's agent, uh, with my three page letter outlining what I wanted and all the documentation I'd built. And I asked for $10,000 to cover what had happened.
0: That's all you asked for, even though it cost more?
1: By the end it cost more. I didn't know that at the time.
0: Oh, okay. So I asked for
1: $10,000 and, um... Right away, the response was uh, an email from his lawyer saying, you'll go through me now. And I said, okay. And I didn't have a lawyer yet. Yeah. Um, And a week later, the lawyer came back and said, okay, um, we'd like to just offer you a $5,500 check right now. And I said... Because they knew you had them by the balls. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I said, okay. Oh, and you agreed? I agreed to it. That was kind of you. So... Yeah,
1: <laughs> I, my partner, again, being so unhelpful, and he he he, as I told him what I was working on and the hours that I was spending on putting this documentation together, he poo pooed me the whole time. He discouraged me from doing it. He's like, "You're not going to get anything out of him." And I said, "I can I can go to small claims." I've, well, I you had I mean you had solid evidence. I had
0: solid evidence. I had plenty of. And when you're dealing with brokers, um, right? Because and when I, you had that evidence. I researched it's real easy. <laughs> I researched how well, it's to not like, easy, but you
1: can. Yes. You can. You, people don't dismiss that kind of stuff. And and I researched how to like file a complaint with the state of Missouri brokers association or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, made sure that there was enough people were neck on the line here that I would there was some teeth to what I was doing, and but my partner who's supposed to be like. My advocate, my partner in this whole thing, was very dismissive of it, of, of my effort, and again, he just wanted to complain. He just wanted to tell me why this was stupid. Um, but in So so when this message from the lawyer came saying, how about I just write you a check for 5500 I said yes, because I felt like it was a huge win. And then my
0: partner told me that I should have held out for more. <laughs> Not good job. Hey, thanks so much for helping us. (laughs) Not even a little. Get a little. So, where'd you meet this guy? Where do you know (laughs) California. Okay. He he sells. uh, What does he sell?
1: Financial products for Wells Fargo. So, okay. People with large net worth go to him, and and he invests their money in, you know, very conservative investments, mostly index funds with different names stamped on them. Okay. makes too much money doing too little kind of a thing. So I, about 15 months after that, I sold him my share of the building for $1. And I I gave a really? talk on that at uh, the RIA meeting up in Sandpoint back in, yeah. in August that you might remember. Um, I remember it. We, we tried to sell the building for six months we had a, an agreement with an agent to list the building and I think we listed it at like 375 because the market was up and brought the listing all the way down to like 350 and had offers at like, we, we had an offer for like 340 that we accepted and then it fell through and then an offer for like 330 I wanna say and they did their due diligence and Said we need to reduce our our agreed upon price to like three hundred, and I I was I was like yeah you can have it take it. And my partner didn't want to do that; he wanted to hang on to it and get more money out of it. So I I sold my fifty percent of the LLC to him for a dollar, and that turns out to be really easy. You can sell
0: your half of an LLC <laughs> with two signatures. Yeah, you can get it done in in twenty minutes. Yeah. <laughs> through email. Yeah. And
1: that's that's what I did and it was such a relief. It was a very difficult decision to make but going into that decision, I knew logically that it was the right thing to do the right move because there was no equity in it yeah and so it was a liability I could safely get rid of and not pay to get rid of. It' probably saved you some aging time. yeah um, <laughs> so I sold so 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 like in the week leading up to my decision to okay yes, I'm going to sell this my, my my ownership for fit for a dollar. Um, it was it was logically the right decision, but emotionally it was very hard for me to follow through with it. Um, after I signed the documents and put them in the mail, uh, it was probably two days later that I felt the emotional like relief and confirmation that like good decision that liability is gone. Yeah, and I'm getting texts from him now about the next phase of problems that he's facing and the $10,000 check he has to write for, you know, a unit that was just trashed and, and had been sitting vacant for fa- far too long. And so the roof had leaked for far
0: too long. And so you've been out of this for how long now? A year and a half?
1: That was building number two. I've been out of that one since August. Since August. Okay. Yeah. And he's still complaining? It's it's become less and less. <laughs> like I think he thinks we're friends and I'm I'm like, okay. it's, it's good information because I still own one building in St. Louis. So... It's good mm-hmm. to know what's going on there, um, but I, I'd never do business
0: with him again, you know. any so How much money do you think you lost on that one? Forty-six thousand. Forty-six thousand. Yeah, on just that building. Yeah. And the way and that How I much? And that, how much of your time do you think it took you? Oh Jesus. How much? Thousand, if you had to guess, how many hours? A thousand hours that I spent a on that building. Yeah. A thousand a thousand hours. hours. Of spare time on
1: Sundays and Saturdays and. You know, middle of the day, taking two or three hours off work so that I can chase things down. I mean, endless, endless, and the the emotional toll that it took and the, I mean, I've been to the bottom. I've been to the bottom of anxiety and depression through this. It really tore me up. Um, That building and and the other two together uh, back in about June of 2019 Um, I had to go to St. Louis to manage building number three which is a we're doing a renovation and um, I got to the point where I was shaking constantly I was breathing my my breathing was shallow I sat on the back porch of one of the units and I just sobbed for an hour one night and didn't feel the catharsis afterwards that you're supposed to feel when you cry that hard just felt pain in the my abdominal muscles from having sobbed that long. Um, took me months to get out of that. Uh, so, totally worth it to lose forty-six thousand dollars. Got a huge education. Massive education, <laughs> yeah. And let me illustrate the way that I calculate forty-six thousand dollars to be clear. So, I think the down payment on that one was like seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So I paid thirty-five, and my partner paid thirty-five. Um, and in the accounting, we, we kept track of the accounting in QuickBooks, and so we each had like an equity account that showed thirty-five thousand dollars right out of the gate. Yep. Seller gave us ten thousand at closing, so that that was our checking account balance to begin with. And then over time, any time that I put money in to the business, I increase my equity account by that much. And then any time that we took a distribution, we did take a distribution. I think once early on, just because we, we thought, oh, there's money in the, we have like $15,000 in the account at the moment. Yep. And so we each took like a $3,000 distribution, and that just, it wasn't a distribution, though, it just came out of our equity accounts. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's how you keep track, is with these, what, what I call equity account. So my partner's equity account, my equity account, were always the same, uh, were always equivalent to the, to the penny. And so by the time I got rid of my my part of the business, my equity account balance was 46000 my partner's was 46000 and I sold him my share of the business for a dollar, and so my equity account was was set to zero, and his equity account stayed at forty six, and I get to take a forty six thousand dollar loss on my taxes. Okay. So what that means is, if I make a um, hundred thousand dollars this year, then I can. I'm being very simple here. A CPA is going to tell you that it has to drivel out over a few years and all that kind of thing. But basically, if I make one hundred thousand dollars this year and pay taxes against that, instead I get to pay taxes against one hundred thousand minus forty six, so fifty four thousand dollars. Right. So that's the loss that I get to take, and that's you know
0: the silver lining. That and the education, which is worth more than anything else. Gotcha. So you have one more building down there, and is it scale of one to ten? How's that doing? Uh,
1: We're at like a seven right now.
0: Okay. Someone's not. Is that yeah. the first
1: one or the third one? So building one, I told you about. Building two, I told you about. Building one, I bought with my dad. And we sold that one, uh, I want to say in October. And I lost about $65,000 on that one. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Building two, <clears throat> I lost $46,000 on back in August. Um, and then building three, I... My partner on that one is also my dad. Okay. Uh, building three is a renovation. So <coughs> we bought that one for 200 and... No. What did we pay for that one? I think we paid like $280. Um, totally vacant. 14 units. Uh, two of them were two bedrooms. And the rest were one bedroom. So... Our property manager at the time, and, and again, this is within the window of I still haven't figured out how to cash flow the first two. I still don't yeah. know how to play the game yet, and I've decided to pull the trigger on a third one. My property manager, who um, seemed really great at the time, but still hadn't you know, turned over a cash flowing property for us, uh, she suggested that we buy this building and that we have her renovate it, have her be the... the the general okay so she estimated that the renovation would cost something like $80,000 so $280,000 did all the
0: units need work
1: all of them needed work yeah
0: 14 units yeah that That seems seems low
1: in retrospect it seemed low to me as well
0: yeah okay go ahead Uh, I mean it it just seems low because I I just spent $118,000 renovating one house (laughs) but yeah, and and we didn't different
1: even, different area different I mean different we, market. We bought I bought number two and three sight unseen. Mm-hmm. I just trusted the people on the ground that in um, you know you pay for an inspection, you uh, trust your general contractor your yep. your property manager to tell you the truth and to understand things better than you. Like in my perspective, I lean on those people quite a lot. They they look at a building and see things that I don't see. So there's no sense to me even being present to do an inspection when. Uh, professionals can yep. do that for me, right? So, yeah, bought for two eighty. Renovation was supposed to cost about eighty thousand dollars. So we said, well, if we even if we cost even if it cost us double that, we'd still be ahead in terms of what the value of the property would be when it's done.
0: Okay. So did you get a similar loan again? No, that one we bought
1: with cash. Okay. And then. Uh, my dad wanted to to fund the renovation.
0: Was this still some of the cash that you had from the sale of your California house?
1: Yeah, it was the rest of it.
0: Okay.
1: So I didn't, and and my partner knew that up front. And so he, we each put in half of the down payment or half of the, the purchase price, which for me was $138,000. Okay. And then after that, he was going to pay for the renovation. And, and we agreed that that was the, the agreement, and we agreed to keep track of things, as I described before, equity accounts. But instead of being perfectly even, uh, my partner's account would would grow a lot faster, and then he would just get paid back that whenever we decided to get financing or sell or whatever.
0: Okay. Different partner? Or no, this is your dad. This is my dad again. So same as building number one.
1: So we bought that one. Um, Our property manager started doing the renovation, and right out of the gate, things were slow. She estimated six weeks to to renovate the first unit and it was more like four or five months before she had that one like actually rented okay um about a year in we stopped the bleeding we'd spend about 120 thousand dollars and she still had i think she had four units rented at that point she'd blown 120 thousand dollars she'd promised 80
0: to do 14 units and she got four units done
1: yeah.
0: Okay. <clears throat> That's quite different. Quite. Was she an experienced contractor?
1: Yeah, she's Or an experienced I mean, con artist.
0: <laughs> I think both.
3: Okay.
1: I think I think in this particular part of St. Louis, there's a lot of people who are both. They're they're good at playing the game. And so she does a lot of ostensibly, she does a lot of her own investing. She does a lot of her own flipping. And so she knows how to slap together a renovation so that it will sell. She knows how to do just enough so that it will rent. She knows that tenants are going to abuse the
0: building, so you need to invest.
1: Be, be smart about where you put your money.
0: Yeah. Um, but a hundred and twenty something for four units, when she estimated eighty thousand for fourteen. Yeah. That just seems like did something way out of her control happen or. She's just very disorganized. Oh man. So. And it took a year. To get yeah. Dude, you've been beat up. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: it was about a year. So, okay. Let's go to the timeline. We bought that building. I want to say in about February of 2018. And she was supposed to start the renovation right away, and she's charging us like. Her costs, plus, I think it was I think her fee was like $2,000 dollars a month to run the renovation. Um, things are never, never progressed as quickly as we wanted. And uh, late summer of that year, my dad, my partner, uh, lost his job. He's also a software engineer. Things changed with his work situation. Wow. and uh, he was let go. Okay. So he kind of looked around, looked at what was happening in St. Louis, and we started talking about, well, maybe, Dad, you should go to St. Louis and, like, run this project yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. So I want to say it was, like, November when we finally made the decision that, yeah, Dad's packing up his tools, and driving to St. Louis, Louis, Missouri. And he lives in um, Logan, Utah, North Utah. So I think it was about November that he packed up his truck and and drove across to uh, St. Louis, lived in an Airbnb for a bit, and picked up the phone and started calling whoever he could find just to come out and do the work.
0: Okay, so he's going to act as a general contractor and sub out a lot, and just manage the project. Yeah,
1: he. I mean, he can swing a hammer for sure. Yeah, but the objective was to get people working. Yeah, because that that could could take a
0: decade to do all that on your own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And um, that turned out to be hard, hard to find decent work, hard to find uh, decent workers, hard to find decent subs in. Um, December, who were willing to work in a building that didn't have heat. Oh, wow. Okay. No heat. Yeah. Uh, hard to figure out how to get street smart about how to find subs that are not going to charge you too much, but are also going to do good work. Uh, so that was... And it, and it was harder than i realized what the the work that he was doing to find people to just win the day each day it was harder than i realized and did he
0: have any experience in construction yeah prior to
1: he'd, this he'd been a handyman for eight years
0: oh okay um so not totally new to him
1: no he's he's got a beautiful barn that uh the inside is a shop and a barn a shop and a garage and a storage and an office and an apartment that he's done all the inside work. He ordered the shell and did kind of a barn dominium situation.
2: Okay.
0: Um, So it wasn't a lack of skills. It's just this area is really tough to get anything done if you don't have solid roots. If you don't have have a a book of
1: contacts, Mm -hmm. um, which is, I think, not an uncommon situation. Like right now in North Idaho, if you want to build a house, if you're a builder hard to find good subs if you're um a homo if you're, if you're somebody who wants to have a home built it's hard to find a good builder who has time in his schedule in the next two or three years you know yeah so so that part's kind of universal but um yeah so he's struggling with that and he was i think he was doing like three weeks in st louis and then a week home he was flying back and forth and so we're hemorrhaging money and you know the flights and the the Airbnb costs. And he finally gets one unit to the point where he can live in it. So there we're saving a pile of money every month just on the Airbnb. Okay. And he gets himself to a point where he's got three or four subs that are doing good enough work and he finds a new job. At the same time that he's doing this renovation, he's also looking for work as a software engineer. Okay. Um, so he Doing it remotely or does he have to be on site somewhere? Uh, let's see. The new job is he needs to be on site. Okay. And it's in it's in Utah. So uh, the new employer knows that he's got this thing that he's trying to tie up, and they're going to be flexible with hours and a little bit of remote work and stuff like that. But he and I agreed that um, I should start putting in time as well in St. Louis now that we both have jobs. Yeah. So uh, we thought a good arrangement would be I go to St. Louis for a week, and then he goes to St. Louis for a week or I go to St. Louis for a week and then nobody's there but we manage the subs remotely and then he goes to St. Louis for a week and then a week of remote and then a week of me, something like that. So we tried that for a little while and I've spent a total of two weeks in St. Louis. So I'm on my laptop working yeah, and also standing up, walking around, looking, making calls, um, trying to unblock people. And uh, that was second the second week that I went to St. Louis was the first week of June and that was when I hit rock bottom in my sort of sense of despair and anxiety yeah I could see that we were getting nowhere fast and I could see that um I had no idea what I was doing I I hired an electrician to um replace a weatherhead that the Power company, or that the city wanted to replace so that we could turn on some more units. That guy didn't open a permit, but he had the, but the power company disconnected the weatherhead for him, and because he didn't open a permit, we couldn't get the weatherhead reconnected, and the city was mad at me for, and that was just one problem. Yeah. And then our subs are costing a lot of money, and people don't show up. Like somebody says, you know, like your uh, carpenter says he'll show up, he'll be here tomorrow at 6 a.m. Okay, I'll be here tomorrow at 6 a.m. too because I'm staying in one of these units. I wake up at 5.30, I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and it never shows up. Like, mm-hmm. people just don't show up 70% of the time. Yeah. And you're, you're giving me the yeah
0: like you know. Yeah. And now, I, fl- I flipped houses. And, and now <laughs> I think I'm done flipping houses. Yeah. I, I just closed on one today um, that I've been working on since July. Oh, a flip that you're selling. Yep. Selling, selling a flip. We started in July 1st. Um, we had a plan to get it on the market, um, within two months, but before the end of the summer, it never, it never hit the market, but I sold it. <laughs> we just finished a renovation last week and it, uh, we're, it's, it's, uh, later February right now yeah. for those listening, <laughs> yeah. it is not summertime, back it is the back. next year and, um, yeah it is it is hard to flip houses even when you're local even when you have a lot of contacts i have a lot of contacts um people sometimes just don't show up people make mistakes they say they pulled the permits but they didn't or they'll continue work without getting proper inspections when permits are open and then they have to lift up that work that was already done so you have to pay people to do things two three times just to go through the permitting process. All of those things. You have to replace sidewalks when you didn't plan to (laughs) because the city wants you to. There's uh, an endless amount of problems that could come up when you are flipping houses and inexperienced, Um, even when you're experienced. I mean, I feel like I'm I'm five years in, I've done a couple dozen flips and I still run into problems all the time. And I'm, I'm gonna switch to a Just new construction for a little bit and see how I like that. (laughs) Anyway, go ahead. So the things that you're (laughs) describing are things that
1: you hear about at the RIA meetings and you read about in the books and you hear about in the podcasts and you talk to other people who have done it. And for me, when when I was there facing the problems, I saw that I didn't have what it took. I saw that I... I was not up to this challenge. I was not thriving. And it hurt my ego, and it it hurt my confidence, and it hurt my, I felt like like I had really done something stupid. Like I Mm -hmm. really beat myself up quite a lot. And um, it's, I, I, I appreciate so much more now the uh, general contractors and subcontractors who have a license and have insurance <clears throat> and put their business before their trade and uh, show up when they say they're going to show up and call me when they're not going to show up and
0: tell me why and, and I, like they're a team player, you know? Yeah, and they quote a proper amount <laughs> yeah. to cover the whole job. Yeah. And not just enough to get the job and then exactly. screw you over later. <laughs> and and communicate with you about changes as
1: they arise instead mm-hmm. of just, oh, that's that's what happens. Um, so the real estate work that I'm doing up here in North Idaho now, my partner is a general contractor. He's built a lot of custom homes. He's done a lot of renovations. He's done uh, a wide spectrum of types of work in um the the work of, of real estate, and I lean on him quite a lot. <clears throat> and while I was in St. Louis going through this in June, uh, I called him, and I I had a cry with him on the phone. And he said, "You know, here's what you got." It was Monday. Yeah. This one particular phone call was Monday morning. It was like nine o'clock, and I should have had four guys, four subs on site, and nobody was showing up. Nobody was answering texts or calls. And so I I called Josh, my partner.
0: Four separate subs. Yeah. We're supposed to show and nobody yeah. shows. Not related, not coming together. Like four dudes and four trucks were supposed to be there. And you, and you're flying out from Idaho to St. Louis to try to run this job and just nobody's showing up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> why would I
1: even show up myself? Why would I fly? Yeah. So, I called Josh about nine o'clock in the morning. My Josh is my partner in in um, Idaho on other other projects and told him what was going on told him I was feeling emotionally fragile and he said um, you know I've been there and that meant so much just to hear that that like I've been there and then he said here's what you gotta do you're gonna make a list of people to call and you're gonna call every person on that list and I told him all the problems that were going on and he, he said okay each one of those people that you just mentioned you're gonna call each one of them and, and then you're gonna pick up the phone, you're gonna call some more people, whoever it is that can help you, it doesn't matter. Like if you get on Craigslist, if you get on, um, you know, just do some Google searches for electrician, plumber, carpenter, whatever it is, you're gonna pick up the phone and just start calling. And he says, I, I, I promise you in two hours you'll feel better. And two hours later I did feel better. I had a couple of guys on site that were just hours late is all. Yeah. Um, and I had a couple of new contacts that I had that I had drummed up just, just by making the calls. Um, and then I think it was on Wednesday that week that I had my, my real long sob when four or five of those problems that we've glossed over, the types of problems we've glossed over here, um, had really bubbled to the surface. And it was probably 10 o'clock at night. And I sat on the back step of the unit that I was staying in and just... Just cried my heart out, and um, and then that was Wednesday night. Thursday and Friday, I was like every 15 to 30 minutes, I would I would want to sob. I just needed to like,
3: <sighs>
1: you know, yeah. let out a shudder of of emotion of pain. Um, Saturday morning. I woke up at I think four o'clock in the morning to get the taxi to get to the airport to get through security to get to the six o'clock or seven o'clock flight on time, and it was all I could do to, to just hold it in while I was sitting in the in the taxi while I was waiting for the plane to board while I was sitting next to some stranger on the airplane. You know I, was, I had a window seat. I remember having the window seat because I looked out the window. And I pretended like I was leaning forward and just looking out the window mm-hmm. while I cried openly. And then did some of this and like sat back, and closed my eyes and tried to sleep. Mm-hmm. And my wife picked me up at the airport in Spokane. And I was, we were in the van for about 20 minutes and that was when I finally could just let it all go. And for about three months I was, uh hard for me to to function the the anxiety the worry anxiety I think is just a fancy word for worry. the yep. worry just pushed down on my chest for twenty three hours a day and um then do I you split. have nightmares of the renovation
0: process, <laughs> yeah, I think I had
1: some bad dreams. it was more of just like not sleeping though, okay it was like. Put the kids in bed at eight thirty nine, and then try to numb my brain with Netflix for four or five hours. Yeah, um, and then wake up at five thirty because there was some sound, and now I can't go back to sleep because all I'm thinking about is that I'm worried.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I talked to a lot of people during that time. I started doing some reading. I started thinking about my mental health, you know, and um, kept going to the RIA meetings. I shared openly what happened to building number two yep. um, for an hour and a half in August at the RIA meeting. And I've tried to be like warm and sharing at the RIA meetings and with lunches that I have with people as a way of connecting with people. And it's been great. It's been awesome. Um, I can honestly look back now today and say, I'm glad that I've gone through that. It hasn't even been a year since I hit bottom. Yeah. Um, My real estate agent in in, uh, Sandpoint had his uh, bottom period, and he and I had lunch one day after after the June incident, let's call it the June incident. Yeah, <laughs> and I had lunch one day, and I told him what was going on, and uh, he shared with me what his bottoming out experience was like uh, back in 2008, and how it was a couple of years for him uh, to get back on the horse. Um, and he said that that for his whole family, that was like the most experience of their life so far he's like there's salvation and then there's 2008 those are the <laughs> most important things in our family and it's brought them together and it's you know he and his wife are much closer than they were might my, be my, and my wife are much closer than we were um, I found out who some real true friends are okay. and um, so I've it's totally worth it you know you you have to be You have to be a newbie for at least a little while. Yeah. That means you're going to make mistakes and get beat up a little bit and you have to, Mm -hmm. if if you don't, then you're just chicken.
0: Well, yeah, if you're, if you're always winning, yeah, you're not learning anything. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, and eventually you're, uh, and if you're not learning, you're always losing. (laughs) Right? <laughs> well, if, if you're not learning, you're always losing.
2: Yeah.
1: If you like, if you don't yeah. learn from your mistakes, then you're going to keep on losing. Oh, if you don't, course. if you don't try, you're not going to win. But if you try, you're going to fail. But if you keep trying and you keep learning from your failures, you're going to win more and off more and more and more. Right.
0: You got to change up your strategy a little bit. Yeah. When things aren't going right. Yeah. Have you done that yet?
1: Yeah. That, that, that one lesson is the most important one.
0: Mm-hmm. Don't,
1: don't try to do something a second time before you've don't, don't do something. Don't do two things at once when you don't, let me, let me, let me try to say this right. How did I say it before? <laughs> um, take, say, take a strategy, take a strategy, the strategy mm-hmm. of buying an apartment building in St. Louis. Don't buy the second apartment building until you've made the first one a success. Yeah. And then you're going to save yourself like time, effort, and energy. And you can learn as many lessons along the way and, and win more and
0: lose less. Yeah. So I would, I would imagine since we're only about seven months in since June, um, seven or eight months, um, are you still doing renovations on that building? Yeah. So we've got, how many units do you have? 10, done? 10 units or 10 units are done
1: or almost done. Okay. So we should have, that's not bad. It's not bad. Um, I don't know how much money we're in right now. I haven't been keeping track lately.
0: <laughs> I've gotten into that habit where you're just so for, far over budget. Yeah. You just stop keeping track. We just need to get to the that, end. That happened. I, I think I, maybe I shared a presentation on that house that I worked on. I converted from a single family to yes. four units and, um, I had a budget of $40,000 to do the renovation. Yeah. And where did you land on that? $150,000 Wow. is what I ended up spending. Um, but the ARV was more than you anticipated, so
1: it's not quite a wash. It's not it
0: th- it was a very stressful year. Yeah, and I did have a little bit, a bit of a breakdown because i I didn't have the I didn't anticipate spending another ninety thousand of my own cash. Yes, and I didn't have it. I did over time, but barely. Yes, and I have a lot of overhead. You know, I have employees, and um, there was one week in last April where. I needed about fifteen hundred bucks to make payroll and all this stuff, and I had—I was nervous. I never usually have less than ten, ten thousand in my account since I first started investing, um, and I had to go to my bank and and get just a small loan for two grand. They—they they gave it to me, but I—I was—I was—I had a meltdown too, you know, privately in my car. <laughs> Um, things were just going wrong for months and they never stopped going wrong. Um, until I finished that project and I did it right. Um, had to do it a couple of times with with many different contractors. Yeah. I probably went through, I mean, there were probably 20 different people in that house on and off and had to fire a few and, um, but when it was finally done, I I think the market helped quite a bit with appreciation. Also, you know, I just I've made certain decisions throughout the process. Okay, well, since we're going over, let's just do everything right and let's just redo it all and let's just go high end. We'll get more rents this way. And I got real lucky I got when I refinanced, I got all my cash back plus another thousand bucks by coincidence. <laughs> I just happened to get ninety one thousand dollars in my cash out refi and I had put wow. ninety thousand of my own cash into it over time. So you chose to keep that one? Oh yeah. It was always it was always a plan to keep it to do yeah. the burr strategy. Yeah. It was not it was not the plan for it to go eight months overdue or eight months over and a uh, hundred and ten thousand dollars over budget. Yeah. That was not in the plan. <laughs> yeah. Um that was extremely stressful. So I mean I can I can appreciate where you're going through. Um,
1: I don't think we talk about this enough.
0: No, it's, it's stressful, but when I would imagine when you have your apartment all rented out, you're going to feel differently about it. Yeah. We're <laughs> going to sell that one. You're going to sell it. Okay.
1: Yeah. And we won't, no, I'm, I'm not going to get any of my money back. Mm-hmm. I'll it will be another.
0: Are you going to stick to local deals now?
1: Yeah. Uh, Let's see. So this partner I mentioned up in Sandpoint, Mm -hmm. um, his name is Josh, and he and I met about two years ago. (laughs) We met at a Cub Scout Pinewood Derby. Okay. (laughs) And I said, said, hey, my name's Jacob. I'm Josh. What do you do, Josh? He says, uh, adult films. <laughs> Straight face, and he's a big guy, like yeah, 300 pounds, massive beard, long hair, and immediately I'm thinking, not an actor, he must be a producer, director. <laughs> Gotta be a producer, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I laughed right away, and we've been friends ever since. So um, he was being facetious. He doesn't do adult film. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> turns, turns out. Um. So. He mentioned that he builds homes. Uh, I mentioned, oh, I do some, I, I dabble in real estate. And so we got to know each other over time. We did a flip, just a real simple flip. We bought a, a little house on 18 acres up in Selle Valley, which is the area in Bonner County, north of Sandpoint. Okay. Um, bought a little house there. Uh, it was a flip, but it was, uh, there was hardly any hammer swinging. It was mostly Clean out the stuff, the tons of stuff like you do. Yep. Um, run a vacuum through it, and then sell it to to whoever wants it, basically for a good price for them too. Um, that was a fun flip because it came with um, like a Ford tractor and an F, I think it's an F250 with like a plow on it, and uh, a bunch of other stuff. And our agreement was that I would put in the money. I'd, I'd put up the money to to buy the place. Josh would do most of the work, all the work. And we'd split the profit, but he would get what he calls the spoils of war. <clears throat> so he got the F-250 pickup. He sold uh, the tractor. I think he sold the tractor for like eight or $10,000. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, we sold the whole thing, and I think we made, each made like $6,000 in the end. So it okay. was it was positive return. It was my first successful real estate venture. And where'd you find that deal? Was it on the MLS or is it off market? He found it through his agent. I wanna say, so the agent, he, he bought a property. Now, is this guy also an agent or no? No. Okay, sorry. So, uh, just... so Josh had bought a property next door to this one, just a piece of land. Mm-hmm. And his agent there, his agent that helped him buy that piece of land um, caught wind of this other one coming up. And so I think it was off MLS um, through his agent. And so we decided to buy it, did the flip, sold it. That was our first deal together. Um, since then we've done land and land is, land is fun. Yeah. And it's a niche that not very many people are into cause it seems scary and hard. Um, it is hard and it's a little bit scary and you have to have people that know what they're doing but um, it's a ton of fun. Yeah. So we bought 40 acre piece of land um, just north of Sand Point, about two miles north of Sand Point. We subdivided that into eight five-acre lots. Okay. Uh, we closed on that one in, I want to say,
0: November of 2018. How long did it take to do the sub subdividing process, if you had to guess?
1: Uh, let's see, about six or eight weeks. Oh, that's not bad. Nope. Hold on. Four months. Okay. <laughs> That sounds more realistic, <laughs> Yeah, uh, you could do it in six or eight weeks if you had everything lined up and your surveyor was, was ready to go, but okay. you gotta get on people's calendars and things like that. Uh, so, had a big piece of wetland in the middle. We mitigated that concern. We've sold three of the eight lots and um, looks like we've got a contract for one more and somebody else that seems to be close. So without counting chickens before they're hatched, we sold three. Okay. And there's a lot of activity right now in the middle of February and we've got a big old pond that is frozen hard on, um, half the lots right now. Okay. Uh, which is a problem, Yeah. but the problem is just a drainage ditch that is frozen solid right now. And once things thaw, we'll be able to clean it out. So it's like, it looks like there's a big water problem, but it's easy to fix. Did you have to put in a road? Yeah, we put in a road, we put in electricity, we put in... Uh, is it a dirt road or is it uh, paved? Gravel road. Gravel, okay. Uh, lots of little details we could talk about there. Anyway, my, my point before, though, yes. is okay. even though we're in the dead of winter and it's covered in ice and most people should be scared off from this property until we finish cleaning up the the last issue with water, there's still activity on it. So we feel yeah. like it's a pretty good... Pretty good uh, project. Things are moving along quite well. Uh, the things we did to, to develop this property, besides just splitting it into lots, we brought in electricity, we brought in phone, Okay. Um, we put in a road where there was kind of a road before and there was also an area that had no road before, so about a mile of road total, just because of the way that things are shaped, uh-huh. it was about a mile of road and a mile of electric and a mile of phone. Wow. Um, And then, what else did we do? Oh, a septic system. So most of the dirt doesn't perk properly, Um, meaning that if you put a drain field in, it will just, the the gray water will leach, will go into the soil and then sit there. It won't evaporate and bacteria won't be able to do its thing. Um, So there's one corner of the property that has about an acre of um, soil that does perk very well. And so we put our septic field there, about a half an acre of septic field, and put a, a two-inch pipe that feeds all the the eight lots. So there's our septic. The only thing we didn't do is um, a shared well. Um, Most of the advice that we got from people in Sandpoint who know who've been developing land, who have developed land a lot over the last couple of decades, the advice is don't bother with a shared well because people hate shared wells. The the, the it's a cultural thing. Yep. Um, so we didn't do a shared well. And so the the uh, septic cost about $100,000. Um, the electric was supposed to cost 43000 So Northern Lights um, had their engineer visit. They quoted us $43,000. Yeah. It's $3,000 to start the process and then you pay the balance before they do any work. So $3,000, get the engineer to look it over um, and then come back at you with the full quote. Then you go and write the check for the full 43 and they'll come out and do the work usually within two to four weeks. Um, Then they sent us a check back for 16,000 a couple months later because after they did their math what it actually cost them, they just write a check and send it back to us, which was unexpected. So that was fun. Yeah.
0: They're not a typical contractor, <laughs> not at
1: all. Uh, yeah, you're dealing with the power company. <laughs> so we well, talked about doing gas, bringing in gas utility. That would have been like two hundred thousand dollars. So wow. sorry, no gas. Yep, no. <laughs> uh, we talked about doing the well, which would have been mm, eighty thousand dollars to do the shared well. And
0: what did the property cost you? Property the cost forty us. acres.
1: 200 and I want to say 200 and see the loan is 160. What did we put down? I want to say ah 220.
0: Okay, so you're about 40,000
1: down, 160 in, in hard money at 10%. Okay. So
0: you're what are you close to four hundred thousand into this project? Something like that. I'd have to look at QuickBooks. Okay, with the road <clears throat> and subdividing. And, yeah, the road
1: fees. A paved road, an asphalt road, would have cost three hundred thousand mm-hmm. dollars. Got a quote for that. Uh, three hundred thousand dollars is way too much money. Um, and I plan to put all the numbers together when we're done. Uh, most of these expenses are now done, but. I need to uh, probably do like a a twenty-minute presentation at the RIA to to demonstrate everything on a spreadsheet.
0: And what should each lot sell
1: for? Uh, Between we've got them listed at ninety-nine and ninety-five. We started out pretty aggressive at one hundred and forty and one hundred and twenty, and then quickly brought it down to ninety-five to ninety-nine. We'll make about twenty thousand dollars profit on each one. Okay. So not a wild success, but not bad either. No. Yeah. Um, And how long has this project been taken? started in in November of, we bought it in November of 2018. We sold the first lot in November of 2019 and sold lots two and three in December of 2019. Okay. Um, We think with market conditions the way they are, we should be able to sell the remaining lots um, by the end of summer. Great. Yeah. Um, Nice to do an investment to make some money. Yeah. (laughs) And we're working with a builder right now to uh, put together a spec home. Uh-huh. We're putting up the land. They're putting up the, sh- the house. Yep. Um, we'll see how that how that pans out um, until we have a deal penciled. I don't want to go into too many details there, but it's, it's basically going to be a 50-50 profit split and um, a little dating period to get to know this particular builder. I'd um, love to get that going because it'll spark the neighborhood. It'll show, like, a retail buyer who drives out there if they yeah. see a house going up or a house in
0: it gives them a lot more confidence to make a decision yeah yeah, and they can see the quality of house that's going in exactly yeah it's, it's so build a th- nice house
1: when you, I think when you <laughs> yeah I think, you I think when you look at properties uh, when you look at real estate as a as an investor for long enough you forget what it's like to look at real estate as a retail buyer and a retail buyer sees a piece of land and doesn't automatically assume that you can like add gravel over here for a driveway. And the house can be over here or can be over there. Yeah. So to help them along, you clear out the trees and push in you know, the road so that you can pull in, drive around in a, in a U-turn, step out, and see this is where the house goes and that kind yeah. of thing. So the house, a spec home being built will help a lot to um, spark the imagination, if you will. Uh, so great relationship there with Josh. Um, it's just gotten better over time, and um, it's been a very positive experience, I think, for both of us. And the last project, that, the project that we just started, is a um, very similar project, about 28 acres south of Sandpoint, and we're working on um, subdividing that into nine lots.
0: Oh, okay. What, um, how far south? Are you in Sagal or more? Or I think some? it's technically Sagal, yeah.
1: It's like right across the Long Bridge, another half mile past the Long Bridge. Nice, uh, big flat level right on the highway. Okay, paved road. Um, that one, we'll try just listing the lots, all nine, as a package. Yeah, and see if we can just turn that. How big are these lots? They'll be two and a half acres each. Okay, and the development costs will be significantly lower. So, having done some development, in the utilities. Uh, we'll need to put in all the utilities. <clears throat> okay, water as well. Ah, well, with two and a half acres, you have enough. Two and a half acres is kind of a magic minimum number, minimum size lot for easy well and septic. Mm -hmm. Easy because if you have smaller than two and a half acre lots, you start having to tell people where they can put their septic and where they can't, so that no one's well is close to anyone else's septic. Yeah, you need so much distance between a well and septic. So. At two and a half acres, it's easy because now the developer could sell those lots individually yeah. or build a house on each one as they come, and each one can just have a well and a septic wherever they want them, more or less. Yeah. Um, but development costs on that are gonna be cheap because all you need is about 800 feet of road, not a mile like we did before. So you can do asphalt there, and it'll yep. be like a $40,000 bill. Um, 800 feet of power, 800 feet of phone, you could even do Northland cable right there. So I think the development on that one would cost somebody less than $100,000. And now you've got lots that are build ready. Mm-hmm. Um, most, most home builders don't touch that kind of stuff. Most home builders wanna plug into uh, water and septic and power yeah, and then go vertical from there.
0: Um, they wanna know what their costs are yeah yeah because if it's not developed if they have to put in a well or septic you're just guessing at that point point. <laughs> and, and
1: it's a different skill set yeah like a, a home builders that i know will sub out the foundation and then often be more involved in the framing mm-hmm. maybe they're their own electrician or something like that but most home builders start with a foundation and go vertical they don't want to deal with um a well and septic and pulling in power and dealing with all those other entities. It's a spectrum, you know, Yeah. you've got, you've got bare land that's forest and you've got like high density, you know, three story apartment buildings in downtown Sandpoint. That's kind of the, the gamut, the, the, the range of the spectrum, the continuum of, of development. Mm-hmm. And so when you're developing land, you're just, you're just bringing yourself from somewhere along the continuum to further along in the continuum. Yep. Maybe you take something that's been, maybe take a 10 acre piece and split it into two, five acre lots. Well, that's a little bit further down the continuum. Maybe you take those two, five acre lots and you put in all the utilities. Well, there's, you're getting a little closer. Maybe you get that thing annexed into the city and now you can put in 7,000 square foot lots Well, you've just moved even further down the spectrum, you know? Yep. So it's just nudging development. Land development is just bringing things closer to the, you know, high density.
0: Yeah. And it definitely takes uh, a good skill set or experience or at least know somebody who's very experienced with land. It certainly helps. Yeah. You don't want to just jump into it assuming things.
1: Yeah. And, and Josh and I are both, we've, we've learned enough lessons to, to be wrong enough, to, to ask dumb questions, to call the power company again, to have them explain something again. Yep. And if you do that enough, you learn. And now we've learned we know how to develop land, and it's a it's a great ride. You get to rent excavators. You know, <laughs> if you rent an excavator, you get to play with it, which is fun. So you got to do that. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I I put my I put my. So you son were that seat. involved. <laughs> I mean, with the I wasn't actually doing a lot of work with the excavator. Okay. But I was paying the bill. Yeah. So I get one of the perks is you get to jump in the excavator and play sometimes, and so I got to put my kids in there and let them drive the sticks or whatever and you know, carefully, tipping over the excavator, do some, some (laughs) things. Uh, We had that, that first development, that first piece that's uh, 40 acres. We had a big pile of cottonwood trees, cottonwood uh, trunks, Mm -hmm. logs, um, like big pile, like the size of a small church, Um, just big deck stacked up. And it's cottonwood sitting there for five years because nobody buys cottonwood. You can't, (laughs) you can't build houses with cottonwood. Yeah. Um, It's very fibrous and and doesn't have like a clean grain. It's kind of a knotty or a a woven grain almost. So uh, last spring, just before, every spring, there's a day that comes when you have to get a burn permit. And if you burn before that date, you don't have to make any phone calls. You can just burn whatever, as big as you want. And after that date, you have to get a burn permit to burn. So right before that date came, I think it was probably in April or May, we lit this one particular deck on fire, and it went up. The flames were 40, 50 feet tall. The, the, the embers, the, the red sparks that come out of the yeah. top of these massive piles, we estimated that that, that column of embers probably went three or 400 feet tall. Wow. Because when you, when you walked back... Fire department show up? They did. <laughs> they sent a pickup truck and one guy out. Yeah. He said, uh, he said to me... Looks like you got a controlled burn going here. And I said, yes. Wink, it's a wink. Controlled burn, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But when he arrived, I mean, he arrived and the excavator was actively like clearing some problem areas okay. as the fire was raging, you know. Yeah. Um, that was a great time. Like, <laughs> most people don't get to experience. That in their life, like the sheer terror of watching this thing, like once you've lit a pile that big, yeah, the fire department's not going to do anything to fix that problem. They're going to take out chainsaws and and tear down the forest around it, maybe, to make sure that it doesn't burn with. But they're not going to like hose it down a fire that big. It was just a good time. (laughs) It was a really good time. Mm -hmm. Um, Couldn't couldn't get within a hundred feet of that of those flames. That's how hot it was. Um, And my kids got to be there for it and stuff too. So it's just been a a great time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, real estate generally. I don't know how you feel about the low points, but I'm at a point where I really feel like there's opportunity for growth when you push yourself. You push yourself into difficult situations. Um, you, You, quote Jordan Peterson you willingly take responsibility for something yeah and therefore transcend it Mm -hmm. there's you feel growth as a person it's more than just being an employee Um, and so it's been a great great ride
0: yeah getting through tough times really is the only way you can grow yeah and have just so much more confidence when you're off doing other projects and you know you can if most people can't mentally take the stress of a real estate investor. Yeah, um,
1: that's true. But most, most real estate investors had their low point where they learned that you can get through it.
0: Yeah. And here's how. But you're doing it, even even through the uh, the state of misery, <laughs> St. Louis, Missouri, <laughs> <Yeah>. Missouri. <laughs> um, Yeah, no, I'm proud of you. You're sticking with it. Most people, I think most people that have gone through what you have gone through would be done with real estate, but you're you're pushing forward, and I think most people don't understand that with real estate you pick your problems. You're always going to have problems no matter what you buy or what project you get into or what, um, no matter what you're investing in, you're going to have problems, but you get to pick which problems you're going to have. If you're going to buy in an area that's rough, um, low income tenants, you're going to deal with those problems. Yeah. If you're going to buy a single family house in a very nice neighborhood with great tenants, you're, you're going to have the problem of maybe a lower return. Um, you're always going to be dealing with something. (laughs) Yeah. Um,
1: it's absolutely true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, market forces push us around to so that there's always somebody working on each of those types of problems. The 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 low steady return of a nice four bedroom home as a rental, like market needs people to invest there. And if yeah. the return were higher, then more people would invest there, which would compress the return. Right. And um, investments like St. Louis that have the potential for high return, require a lot of effort. It's probably yeah. better to manage those yourself or at least be within a mile or two of, of the problem so that you can build your team and things like that. But it's going to require a lot of time and effort in order to achieve that, that outsized return. Mm-hmm. So if the return were greater, more people would move into there. If the pain were greater, people would move out of it.
0: Yeah. So, and I'm not dissing on nice houses. I mean, the, No, they're I had a, a four bedroom, rental new construction that i bought a couple years ago that was uh, the one of the best investments i ever had and what made that a great investment was just our local market conditions Uh, the market's appreciating like crazy and we have a very low supply of single family rentals so i kind of feel like with real estate investing you should really go with what the market wants yeah right now our local market wants housing <laughs> in general, did did you keep that um, one?
1: Did you not keep it?
0: That single family house? Yeah, the new one. I wish I would have kept it. I remember, I, I remember I when had, you bought I it. I felt it like, like I were going to keep it. You know, I sold it last summer, um, because of that other that other project I was working on that went oh. you know, one hundred and ten thousand dollars over budget. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't exactly have. I felt like I didn't have the uh, the resources, even though I, ca- I could have pulled equity from other properties or something. But I felt like it was a good time to capitalize on the the uh, one year of um, appreciation that I had on that. The tenants were going to move out after the one year. Um, I didn't have to do a thing to it. I think I made about 50000 on it, plus the cash flow for that year. Um, so it was just, it was just a cash out. I need this cash to finish this other house. (laughs) Um, but I, if I really wanted to, I bet you I could have pulled the resources from something somewhere else. If I would have kept that house, I mean, today would be worth another 20 grand, but it's an easy pass. I mean, I didn't, I didn't even have a, that was the only property I didn't have a property manager on. I just didn't need it. I didn't need it. That's you're dealing with a a family paying 1800 bucks a month for a new construction house. There's not many, not many maintenance calls. Yeah. I think I had one time, one time out of the whole year, they, he called me to let me know that the heater wasn't working and I, and I had to spend a minute and a half calling the, um, HVAC company that installed the unit to go fix it. And they did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I didn't, that was, uh, yeah. That's the luxury of, you know, picking your investments yeah. if you, you have a new construction single-family house. I mean, my, my whole time managing it was probably under a half hour. <laughs> it wasn't much. It's Boy. very passive. And then I, I just used that cozy site to collect rent. So rent yeah. was collected automatically. It was, um yeah. yeah. That's, um, That's one regret I guess I have is just selling that nice house (laughs) yeah I have other nice houses but they're not as nice
1: sure was convenient that you had that equity ready to just punch in the nose with
0: yeah I mean it helped it saved me yeah the funny thing was before I ever bought it um, I was asking some other private money lenders what what they thought of this investment because I had I had just done another flip where I made like 60 grand and I didn't want to throw that in a retirement account or anything and I there was yeah. nothing to flip on the market at that time, so I was thinking, what, what if I just bought this new construction house? And I ran the numbers, and the numbers looked okay. <laughs> and I showed it to my private money people, and they're like, "No, nah, don't do that." <laughs> <laughs> Ended up being, I did it anyway. I, but huh.
1: So, how has your strategy changed over the last year? Then, do you do you feel like you need more of a buffer in cash, or do you feel like? having equity in in a few of your properties is is good enough because you get to
0: I think my my strategy has changed over the years a little bit more where I look at my my net worth a little bit harder okay and I and I try to make decisions um, 10 years I I try to look 10 years in the future yeah about if I kept this project and I use the calculators on like bigger pockets yeah if I kept it for 10 years versus selling it in six months What's gonna be, uh, what's gonna be better for our our family's future? Yeah, and it's almost always just keeping these properties. Yeah, Um, but sometimes I get into them with partners, and I have to sell or refinance, or I may not. Yeah, every every it depends on the house. But I mean, my first objective is I want to try to keep it. Um, But if that's um, if it's gonna have a low cash flow or maybe break even. I probably wouldn't do the deal anyway, but everything, anything that I buy, it has to, it has to, um, have about at least a 20% profit margin. If I resell it as a flip and it has to cash flow if I decide to keep it as a rental yeah. or I won't buy it.
1: But and no, cash flow, meaning like a hundred dollars a door cash flow. Do you have a, do you have a number on that?
0: Uh, at least 200, 200 a door. Yeah. 200 net after all expenses including figuring potential repairs. Yeah, and all that. Yeah. Um I've
1: got an idea that I I don't have the money to do it right now, but I think it's a brilliant idea and it kind of goes in line with shifting more to that long-term thinking. So feels like well, we've talked about how buying new construction can be a good investment, especially as the market's rising. Yeah buy it you're gonna get good tenants it's a brand new home um, you're gonna get some appreciation right away if it's a growing market if it's an expanding market but uh, to me there's a conflict of interest that I am constantly bothered by and that is whoever built the home or or whosever project it was that they commissioned the build their incentive is to sell right Their incentive is not to make something that's going to last a long time necessarily. Like, in our heart of hearts, we we do our best to deliver a good product. But um, the incentives are such that you sell a home that's like something that somebody wants to live in. But if you were to build your own home, you would choose to do some things different probably, right? A little bit. Now, if you could build your own investment homes, you could... Make some decisions along the way that might be different mm-hmm. compared to buying a home that you're this, this new construction they are going to use in as an investment. So maybe you want sheetrock that's a little heavier duty, just because it won't get bumped as easily when people move well, in. Well, you want a higher quality paint. Higher quality paint. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you want polished concrete floors and single level, because or LVP. Sure.
0: Yeah. LVP flooring is like tenant proof. Okay. Mm -hmm.
1: Uh, Maybe you want a 50 year metal roof because maybe it's not quite as pretty as 30 year asphalt shingles, but a 50 year metal roof is a good roof and it costs Mm -hmm. the same or less than the asphalt shingles.
0: Um, And you want gutters so you don't damage your foundation over time.
1: Yeah. Maybe, maybe you build with just bigger eaves Mm -hmm. and a French drain so that the gutters can't be, you don't need the gutters and they don't rip off. Maybe you maybe you shape the foundation to be rectangular and the roof to shed where there's no doors so that you don't even need gutters yeah. to are careful enough. Maybe you put up the really nice the gutters that are so strong that you can stand on them, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of those decisions, like the roof is a great example of, of a decision that you can make as an investor, building your own investment, um, doesn't necessarily cost more but is going to give you a solid return over decades. Yeah. Um, If you did a duplex you build a duplex that way maybe you do it as a barn dominium with a metal shell now you have a 50 year no fade warranty on the color of the the exterior you got a 50 year roof and you could build into that duplex some cool features like a 4 foot wet wall down the middle and if all of your sinks and tubs and toilets back onto that wet wall and for the next hundred years that's an easy repair those plumbing things are easy to fix
0: oh i see like inside it's of exposed that. on the inside of this little hallway or something yes all the plumbing
1: yes so you have yeah. a door on the back of the duplex yep that only only the landlord has access to mm-hmm. and that door walks you down between the units you just have bare studs you see, you're stepping over the plumbing or yeah. electrical coming out. All maybe your Wi-Fi access points are in there.
0: If city code would allow it, I mean you might need a lot of insulation still within that. Might need some insulation,
1: yeah. yeah. Um,
0: but that is city code
1: shouldn't be a problem because wet walls are totally a thing in commercial buildings. Are they okay? Um, they're not as common in duplexes, yeah, <laughs> or single-family homes, right? But if you wanted, if you, if you're aware of that kind of a strategy, then you could you could use it. Mm-hmm. and then you're gonna pay taxes against the square feet of livable space, not the wet wall, so like, why not? Yeah. Um, so to me, there's like a lot of little things you could do there. And if you did it at scale, if you develop the land yourself, save a pile of money, if you, if you build yourself, the commission to build yourself, you save a bunch of money. And so if you could develop, say, uh, 10 acres into four duplexes, that's eight units, 1,500 yep. square feet each, rent those to families, solid investment for long-term. That's that's something that I've been thinking yeah. about lately. It's so not a strategy then, that I've heard anybody else mm-hmm. talk about. It's one I've developed myself, and so I wonder if I'm just crazy because I, <laughs> nobody else is talking about it. You know what I mean?
0: No, you're not crazy. Um, but then again, you, then you're going to get a different type of tenant that I'm thinking of. So I, I, I like to invest in, ideally, in neighborhoods where there's mostly homeowners. and okay. And where the one or two oddballs houses that actually have renters in them. Um, so that. So that, so, the, so that the, set na- the tone of taking care of your stuff. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because if you have a neighborhood full of rental houses, you can usually tell. <laughs> sure. And then, uh, and then you're you're not gonna have that same type of appreciation that you would over time, as a um, a neighborhood known to be a C class. Um, you know. It's just fill.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's a fair criticism. So, like a lot of apartment complexes are built with these ideas in mind of it'll be all
0: green and
1: yeah, they're all just apartment complexes.
0: Because the idea with the single family houses in a nice neighborhood, you're 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 renting to somebody who should be buying a house, mm. but for whatever reason, maybe they just got to town, and they want to shop for a year, yeah. and they don't mind spending above average rent. They're in a nice neighborhood. It's newer house. Um, and so I mean, you're going after those type of tenants, which do exist. Yeah. That they're not going to be tenants forever. Yeah. Anyway, we're going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) I got a lot of rabbit holes. That's all right. Well, Jacob, I'm proud of you. You're sticking with it. You're doing a great job. Um, if, if people want to reach out to you, do you want anyone to reach out to you ever? Sure. Hit me up on, uh, email.
1: My, my email address is jacobmarble at gmail.com. All right. And I'm happy to get lunches with people or coffee or just chat.
0: Buy uh, this guy lunch yeah. or coffee. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah, I love connecting with people and uh, I, I appreciate the work that you do. You put
3: well, on thank a, you.
1: You put on a great RIA meeting. And um, I really appreciate the one, the Sandpoint. It's tiny, but uh, it's fun. It's That's the fun one. It's an hour closer than quarter lane for me. <laughs> yeah. And it is a fun one, it's very informal. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can, we can, uh, I feel like people let their hair down a little bit more. We can drink beer. That's right. <laughs> in basically a bar. Uh huh. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I appreciate what you do for the, the real estate community in North Idaho. It's, thanks. it's big.
0: So, yeah. Good job. Well, you get what you, uh, it's karma. <laughs> yeah, what goes around, my business has term. grown a lot thanks to it. Thanks to the okay. community. So, Glad I can help out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you very much. Appreciate yeah. it. This is a long one, but it was a great one. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you or someone you know has investing experience or stories to share, reach out to us in the comments or via email.